Amen. So I want to work backwards a little bit here, and I want to take care of these last couple of verses that we read and work a little bit backwards um, where we find Jesus basically saying, look, enough is enough with the questions, guys. Uh, I don't know if he was tired of the questions or if he was just, (laughs) you're not going to stump me, so let's just get past this, ask, ask Jesus and see if I can stump him questions. And he cuts to the chase and he throws this out there. Uh, this question that makes basically their head explode. It's one of those, you, you throw the question out and you sit there and you think and you walk away dumbfounded like, oh, I can't answer that question. There's just, I can't answer it. I, I don't have one. And so he, he basically goes with this question. David, who preceded Jesus, who was before Jesus, he, he refers to Jesus as Lord and, it, and it's a reference to God's deity, to the Messiah's deity, to his eternal nature of Jesus but then at the same time references back and says, you know, here is a son of David, someone who is coming from the lineage of David. And so how can both be true? And so, of course, it sounds very confusing. You know, well, how can he call him Lord, basically acknowledge that his eternal nature, that he is above him, yet at the same time, he's a son of David. He's one that would come after him. And the the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they walk away baffled and said, okay, enough questions. This guy's pretty smart. He just asked us one that's left us, the teachers of the law, dumbfounded. Uh, basically, if you take this passage, read it over, in th- these couple of verses, read them over about 10 times, um, y- you'll get to the bottom of the picture. Uh, the God who created David is also David's descendant. And that, that's one that'll make your head spin. The God who created David is also David's descendant. And think about it. It's one, right? You make your head, you just have to stop. And there are the, there are the kind of questions, there are the kind of statements that happen in our lives that make us think. And sometimes at the end of the day, we walk away and, you know, scratch our head. You know, I can throw out those crazy ones when you go through seminary, the ones that, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? You know, there's crazy questions. Or can God create a rock that is so big that he's not strong enough to lift it up? Uh, think about that. It's when you fall asleep at night and you don't have an answer for it. Well, he's throwing this question out. And sometimes we have those kinds of things that just stop, make us ponder, make us think, and we walk away just not knowing how to answer it. Well, there is a reality. We live in a day, sometimes we hear things that are so ridiculous that they're not even worthy of a response. There's those kinds of statements. Someone says something and you're just like, wow, did they just say that? And, And you really, you can't say anything back. There's just no way you can respond back to it because the statement is just, it would be tantamount and it still goes on today when, and I I heard the question the other day on the radio on a Bible program, somebody called and and actually said, now do we really live on a flat earth? And I'm thinking, this is 2020. And to, as, as a host of the show, do you just do you just hang up? Do you what do you you know? And, and as gracious as he was, he answered a question. But it's one of those you you hear a question and you think, did I just hear that? And so that that's one way of taking something and taking a statement and you walk away and you ponder and you're like, I can't even answer that. But then the other kind of statement is one that is so profound, so deep, so thought stirring that you you actually walk away and you say. I have to think about that. Now, when we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I don't want you to walk away and think, Pastor Ralph just said something, and that was so ridiculous that it does not even dignify a response. 
I want you to be able to walk away this morning hearing what Jesus said and hearing about his statements about love and walk away saying, I got to think and ponder this. I got to really see what God wants to do in my heart because of these two simple little statements. And so hopefully this morning as we look at verses 37 through, 30, through uh, 40 and those simple little verses, those four verses, 37 through 40, that we can stop and we can think and we can ponder and understand what God wants to say to us. And so I only have two points for us to, this morning. We're going to just look at these two statements on love. I'm going to try and break them down a little bit. I'm going to try and help us understand them a little bit and hopefully get us to the point where we can stop and say, oh, I, I got a little bit of work to do on this subject. And that's where I believe God wants us to be, is to actually get out the measuring stick, and I'm going to use that word a lot, to get out the mirror, to look in the mirror, to, to put the measuring stick next to us, to see where we actually measure up to these two statements in our own lives. And the first one is, the priority number one, it's in regards to our love for God. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Very simple statement. Pretty easy. Not too difficult to love God. Uh, I think we can get there. We can say, I love God. I, I think there are three simple words, and all of us could probably say them. I love God. And, and not too difficult. Because if I look at those and I just say, well, I love God, I can say it this way. I don't hate God. I'm okay with God. God's there. I'm here. He does his thing, I do my thing, when I'm in trouble, he's there to listen to me, I can pray to him, I can talk to him. Yeah, I don't hate God. Yeah, I love God. And that becomes a difficulty. Because that's not the measuring stick that is given to us in God's word. And so, if we're just going with a very simple statement of just saying, I love God, that's not the love priority that God gives to us. We're given a threefold commandment here in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the measuring stick I want us to get out this morning. I want us to get the measuring stick out and look at all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind and say, how does that measuring stick measure up in regards to my love for God? And so... You know, in other places of the Bible, we have to remember that Jesus does use the words, with all your strength, that's thrown in for good measure. We're not going to deal with it this morning. So, if I'm looking at all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind, let's throw out some measuring sticks and start looking at this. We're smart people. I think all of us can figure it out. I think all of us can answer the question in, at the end, and we'll be able to easily say, what's my heart, what's my soul, what's my mind, and am I loving God in such a way? And so we're going to start going there, all of our heart. How do I describe for you, love the Lord your God with all of, our, all of our heart? Our love for God should be the highest affection that we have in our lives, the highest affection for anything else. It should be stronger than our love for anything else and anyone else in the world. Going back what seems to be a lifetime ago, I don't measure up to the, what do we say, 61 years of marriage and 52 years of marriage that we have it corrected now and the anniversaries celebrated. If I wind back the time, the clocks of time, 
I know what it means to have passion for somebody. I, I, and I don't go back that many years, but I go back in time. I remember there was a day, um, which just seems like yesterday, that I was chasing after a certain young lady in my life. And I don't know about you when you were at that point in your life, but if you weren't with the person, you were on the phone with the person. And I'm talking the old days, not the cell phone. I'm talking about the long cord where you have to sit there and, you know, you get the 25-foot cord so that way you can go to the restroom and be on the phone at the same time. And none of this cell phone. But you're just tied up on the phone and you're thinking about when can I be with that person again? And then when you're with that person, you're actually thinking about, well, I'm going to have to go home soon. It's only 1.30 in the morning, and i got to get up for work in the morning. And you're thinking about, when will I see the person again? And then when you're at work during the day, well, what time am I going to get off work today because I want to be with that person again? And then when you're with that person, and and it's just the, the passion, the heart, is just overflowing because you just want to be in the person's presence. Can I describe for you any other way of what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart? Matthew 6, 21 tells us, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There was no doubt in my mind at all those many years ago that my heart was on East South Street in Carlisle. That's where my heart was. That's where, that's where the heart's passion was. And God says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And God says to me today, and says to me today, I don't know how he's asking you, but he's saying to me today, and he's saying, do you love me with that passion? Do you love me with that passion? Is your heart chasing after me in the same way that you were willing to chase after a young lady some 36 and a half years ago? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. When we're called to love God with all of our heart, it's setting our heart on God and never wandering away. There's so many different things that distract us from our love for God. Matthew 15, 18 tells us, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. When the Israelites were, came to the promised land, they were to drive away the enemies of God. Why did they have to drive away the enemies of God? The Jebusites, the Ammonites, the, the Canaanites, you know, all of the, I like when Pastor Youssef, Michael Youssef says, all of the mosquito bites. Everything that would, would hurt them. They, they had to drive the enemy out of the land. And they were told why they had to drive the enemy out of the land. Because the enemy of the land, that was in the land, would distract them from worshiping God and pull their heart away from God so they would be worshiping other idols. They had to love God with all of their heart and not allow their heart to be strayed away. I want to move on. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then we move to all your soul. With your soul, it's a reference to all of our lives. Uh, everything that is in me, all of my willingness is to give up my life for Jesus Christ and to love him in such a way that my, that my entire being that is in, alive and living for God. We see this in the Old Testament where articles were being set apart for service. When you look at the tabernacle, we, we start to think about, you know, the Ark of the Covenant that was be in the Holy of Holies and how beautiful it was with the, the cherubim that were carved out on the lid and, and how beautiful that was and set apart for the service of God. But there's so many different things. There was candles and there was wash basins and there was altars and there, there was cups and there was bowls and all of those things that were in the temple were for purposes in the temple. 
Dare not use them for anything else. Go ask King Nebuchadnezzar and you'll see the writing on the wall. You can look that story up later, but those things were set apart for God to be used for God and only for God. And when we're talking about loving the Lord our God with all of our soul, we are set apart for God and to be used for God and for God's purposes and only for God, we are to be people of God. There's an old song, I'm set apart for Jesus to be a priest and king. His life in me increases Upon his love I feast. From evil separated, made holy by his blood, my all is consecrated unto the living God. That's loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Where my all is consecrated, my all is set apart for the living, holy, wonderful, glorious God. All of our soul is setting ourselves apart for Jesus and to do what Jesus would desire. So all of our heart, all of our soul, and then all of our mind. Loving, our, loving God with all of our mind is taking our intellect and allowing it to be renewed by God's Word. Allow God's Word to pour into our mind. To think about things that are pure and lovely and holy. Think about the beauty that comes from God's Word. Think about the way that God would want to lead us through His Word. When we submit ourselves to God's Word and allow it to pour into our lives, we don't set our mind over to the side when we come before God. God says, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Take your mind and immerse it and fill it with God. I'm going to give you another aspect of this, a measuring stick to put up in front of us. Here's a measuring stick for us to use. When it's the evening before the beginning of deer season, and I've been there, the night before rifle season starts, and you're laying on your bed, and all of a sudden, the thoughts of that big buck come through. Oh, you're laying on your bed and you could see the antlers on that big 240-pound buck now, 16 points. 16 points, big, huge, 24-inch spread, and you're just laying in bed dreaming and dreaming and thinking about it. And then you even hear your wife whisper to you, if you shoot that big buck, we'll hang it right above the TV. <laughs> and you're just, you're just, your mind is just running with all of these, uh, dear fever, your mind is just running with this hunting stuff in your head and dreaming about that big buck that you're going to shoot it at 7.30 in the morning at the break of dawn on the first day of rifle season. And your mind runs with it. Now it's Saturday night, last night. Was your mind running with, man, I get to go to the house of God tomorrow. You know, we're going to get up tomorrow morning. We're going to leave the house at 8.30 and be on time for Sunday school and be part of fellowshipping with other people and grow in the Word of God. And then at 10 o'clock, we're going to get into that chapel and we're going to worship and praise God. Hey, it's going to be beautiful and I'm going to listen to a sermon. It's going to enrich me. Man, I can't wait. Tomorrow morning, honey, we're going to wake up and go to church. This is great. My mind doesn't go there all the time. And I know your mind doesn't go there all the time. Think about the difference. To love the Lord your God with all of your mind. All of the things that our minds think about and dream about. I'm going to build a big house and I'm going to have that nice car and I'm going to have, you know, 80 years of marriage and live to be 120 and every dream and fantasy that we can come up with with our mind. How much of our mind do we give to God? How much of our minds do we really give to God? Here's a really kicker. You want a real good measuring stick? 
Pennsylvania legalized hunting deer season now on Sunday. There's a good one for you. Where are you going to be on Sunday morning? Where are you going to be on that Sunday morning? Oh, I know. I can worship God while I'm out in the woods enjoying the beauty of nature. And God will visit me while I'm up in my tree stand. Oh, I know that it's only a couple of Sundays a year. And hey, everybody takes vacation. This is my vacation. Oh, I know. It's quality family time. I'm going to be there with my children up in that tree stand. Oh, I know. We live in a day of grace, not a day of legalism. But I know. It's a reflection of where our mind is at. It's a reflection of where our mind is at. It's a reflection of where our heart is at. It's a reflection of where our soul is at. And Jesus goes and says to the Sadducees, and I think really says to us today, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? Or are you falling short of that? See, our complete love for God is only reciprocating the great love he has for us. Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus went on to say, and that's why I call you friends, if you do what I say. Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And that's the love of God that is poured into us. There's the love of God that took Jesus Christ to the cross to die for our sins, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the love of God that gives us his grace and his mercy that pardons us and sets us free from the bondage of sin. And that love of God is poured into us. And do we reciprocate that back and love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind? It's the love of God that's poured out for us and draws our heart into a love relationship with him. And in turn, this relationship then moves into love priority number two. Number two, others. First John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. That's an easy one. First John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. In verse 39 in Matthew 22, and Jesus says, And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we love because he first loved us. Our love for others is pure, because it flows from the love of God into our lives. I will never have love for others if it wasn't for the love of God pouring into my life, my love for God, and then my love for other people that are around me. See, how can a mother stand in a courtroom? How can a mother stand in a courtroom and look over at the guy that was just found guilty of doing awful things to her own daughter and say I forgive you how can a mother do it only because of the love of God that has touched her and her love for God allows her then to love somebody else how can a, how can a, a person who has gone through their life being abused and being mistreated and grown up and all of the atrocities that are in that and get to the point of being an adult and then look back at their past and say, I forgive them. I forgive them. Only because of the love of God. The love of God for that person. And that person's love for God. And then that love being poured out into somebody else's life. 
Why can anyone reach out with such a depth of love to someone else? We love because he first loved us. God's love for us opens up the door for us to love him and to love other people. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching about prayers. He shares these verses. He shares these words in verses 11 through 13. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? My problem with these verses is, we have gone so dark, we have gone so evil, that when someone asks for a fish, we will give them a snake. And when someone asks for an egg, we will give them a scorpion. Jesus is talking in his day and actually says, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. And how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God pours into us his Holy Spirit, and in turn, we are finding ourselves lacking in love. As the part of our challenge today is to love our neighbors as ourselves. We expect our neighbor to do bad to us. We expect our coworker to do bad to us. We expect the guy on the highway to cut us off. We expect everyone to do ill to us. And in turn, we have no problem doing ill and bad to other people. And God says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, all your heart and soul and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To get over that and to love your neighbor. God teaches us over and over and over, gives us the best, hopes the best for us, in turn, wants us to do the same to other people. It's what he has called us to. I want to go all the way back to Abraham and Lot. I want to go way, way back. Genesis chapter 13. We find Abraham and Lot. Abram at that point. His name was not even changed yet. It was still Abram, the father of one. He doesn't get changed to Abraham yet, the father of many. So we have Abram in Genesis chapter 13 with his nephew Lot. And here's how the story goes. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. I want to stop the story right there. You're Abraham. You're the uncle. You're not getting along with your nephew. What should Abraham do? You should say, Lot, stop fighting with my men. You go over there and live in that terrible land over there. I'm staying here. But that's not what Abraham does. Here's Abraham's response. They're having this spat. They're having this feud. And here's Abraham's response. So Abraham says to Lot, let us not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And Lot looks around and he sees the whole plain of Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and sent out towards the east. And the two men parted company. Well, for Abraham, that didn't work out very well, did it? But that's loving your neighbor. That is loving your neighbor. 
Yeah, it was his nephew, and he could have told his nephew, you go over there, you go over there to the west where the bad lands are, I'll go over to the east. But Abraham, with the love of God that he has in his heart, says to his nephew Lot, you go take the land of whatever you want to, to the east, to the west, to the left, or the right, you go take the land that you want. Now the story keeps going on, and I want you to understand what it really means to love your neighbor. Because we jump forward into the into chapter, I believe, 18, starting at verse 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men. I want to stop right there and just fill in the gap. Invading parties, invading kings came in and conquered that land and took Lot and all of his family and all of his herds and all of his sheep, all of his cattle, and took everything and hauled them off as spoils for war. Abraham could have sat at home and said, well, stinks for you, Lot. Doesn't that stink for you? See, if you would have gone over here, you would have been okay. But you were the one. You are the one that chose to go over there where the grass was greener. And doesn't that stink for you? But that's not Abraham. See, Abraham has love for God and love for his neighbor. I'm going to keep going. He's starting back up in Genesis chapter 18. So he gets his 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack and rout them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and all the other people. That's a stinky story. Stinky from my perspective, from a worldly perspective. Lot gets the best land. Lot gets in trouble. And then Abraham goes and rescues Lot and brings him back. But at the end, I say, wow, that is love your neighbor as yourself. Because if I was Lot, I would want Uncle Abe to come and rescue me. Even though I'm the one that made the mess of it. But what do we do? What do we do? We use other religion terms like karma. I want to tell you right now, karma is not Christianity. If, if I believed in karma, we'd all be gone. We'd all be gone. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So hopefully you do not believe in karma. Karma is not Christianity. Karma is from a different world religion. But we, we, we tend to believe in it. Because when somebody does us wrong... And then something bad happens to them? What do we say? Well, they deserved it. They deserved it. They got what was coming to them, didn't they? They got what was coming to them. See, you, you go and do bad things, and bad things are going to happen to you, and they get what's coming to them. You hurt me. Yep, you stole my stuff. You stole my car. And then the tire got flat, and you crashed and hurt yourself. Well, it stinks to be you. Shouldn't have stole my car. And God says, whoa, wait a minute, Ralph. Wait a minute, people. Wait a minute, my children. What happened to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind? What happened to love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, he stole your car, but you shouldn't wish that he wrecks in it. You should bless him on his way and go and rescue him and help him. And see, God sets a different standard. He sets a different measuring stick than the one that I like and the one that the world likes. But he sets it there because we're to be a called out people, the people of God living for him. I want to throw another measuring stick 
I don't talk about politics and I am not going to tell you how to vote from up here at the pulpit. That is not what, who I am when I, I am here. When I am my own individual, I'll have a po- political conversation with you to the cows come home. But from a church perspective, I want, to, I want to give you this perspective. We live in a day where people hate other people. We live in a day where people hate other people because of politics. And if you are going to the polls to vote because you hate another person, check your heart at the door, people. Check your heart at the door because that falls so short of love your neighbor as yourself. And so no matter, no matter who the politician is, no matter if it's Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Green Party, or I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones on the ballot, if you are going there with hate in your heart for a person, check your heart at the door. Because that falls so short of love your neighbor as yourself. And if I can't find a place in my heart to love people that disagree with me, then I'm falling short. We have to remember that. And as people of God, we have to set the hate aside and start loving our neighbors as ourselves. I want to wrap up. In regards to love, we have two priorities. We need to keep it in a complete package. I want to go back to 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And if he has given us this command, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. When it comes to our spiritual walk, we want to run. We want to run, but we haven't even learned how to walk yet. We want to talk about spiritual gifts, and we want to talk about spiritual warfare, and we want to talk of all these great spiritual things we can do, and, and, and we still need to learn to walk. We need to learn to walk. All of the other commandments, all of the other things, all hang on these two priorities of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and we want to talk about all kinds of other subjects, and God's saying, Let, let's get back here, and let's just talk about this for a while. We want to go and read a, a, a novel like Pilgrim's Progress or Dante's Inferno and understand it and comprehend it, and God's saying, will you please learn your ABCs? We want to do calculus, and God's saying, can you count the ten yet? And God calls us back to love. Today, let's get back to our ABCs. Get back to our ABCs. Get back to being a people of love. I want to tell you, love covers a multitude, multitude of sins. And I'm not asking you to excuse sin in the name of love. Please don't do that. I was having a conversation this morning. Please don't do that. I am truly believing, and I'll go off on a tangent, truly believing if I go to the doctor and I am sick, and I go to the doctor, and I say, hey, doc, what's wrong with me? And he runs all kinds of medical tests on me, and in the end, he finds I have terrible diseases. And he finds out all those things, and I go into the, visit, into the office for that follow-up, which I don't like because then I have to pay a copay again a second time, which doesn't, well, just call me on the phone, tell me what's wrong. But I have to go into the office again and, and I sit down and the doctor, doctor knows all this stuff is wrong with me. Terrible stuff, stuff that's going to kill me if I don't do something about it. But it's treatable if I do the right things and, and take the right medicines and eat the right way or, or exercise or whatever it may be and it's treatable. And the doctor looks at me and says, yeah, Ralph, we ran all those tests and I know you're not feeling good, but hey, you're a great guy. I love you. Go home. Enjoy your life. 
did the doctor love me or not love me? I'd say he didn't love me at all. And he didn't care about me at all. And so in the disguise of love, he wasn't willing to tell me, this is killing you, Ralph. Fix it. Do you get the analogy? Fix it. And he tells me what's wrong, and he says, here, go take these pills. They will save your life. They will save your life. And out of love, I know that he told me that I'm sick, and I have these things that are wrong. And in love, he then helps me on the right path. Don't misconstrue anything that I said here this morning. I believe that when someone is in sin, we talk about sin, and we're open about sin, and we say, here, my love for you is so great, I don't want you to go down the path of sin, and I want you to come out of that, because Jesus has shown us a better way of life. And to rescue the perishing. By letting them know that Jesus has a better way for us. He can break the bondage of sin and set us free from sin so we can live with him. And that's love. So don't misconstrue what I'm saying about love. But I know when we're walking around with hate in our heart for other people, we're on a dangerous path. A dangerous path. I want to get back to our ABCs. I want to use God's measuring stick. I hope you, as well as me, want to walk a path of love. God loves you. You love God. You love others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love because you first loved us, and we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love that sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins. We ask for your forgiveness this morning of any way that we have fallen short of your love. We ask for your forgiveness, Heavenly Father. In any way that we have shown hatred to another. Help us to be your chosen people, set apart for you, walking in love for others. When we see the ills of this world, Lord, help us to have a heart of love that we want to change the ills of this world. Help us to have a heart of love where we see where another person is at. And we want to rescue them. And save them from the sin that inflicts them. And pulls them down. Lord, give us a passion for you, a passion of love. Give us a passion of love where we love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, we will love. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.